I'd invite you to turn to the 11th Psalm. If you don't have a Bible, we'd like for you to take one of the Bibles that are in some of the chairs in front of you. We'd love for you to take one not only to use, but to take home with you and make it your own. This is the English Standard Version. There's a lot of good versions. This is one that we happen to use for teaching and preaching here. We'd love for you to take that. And if you were If you grabbed one of those, you turn to page 452, that's Psalm chapter 11 or 452. We're going to look at the 11th Psalm. We're in a series of Psalms, so we've got to the 11th Psalm. We'll be, if God God willing, we'll be in Psalm. This is a Psalm of David. It's written to be sung, he says, to the choir master. So if if you would listen with me. Listen to me as I read this psalm, and then we're going we're gonna to look at it together. David says, In the Lord I take refuge. Be like a bird to the mount, your mountain. For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow in the string to shoot in the dark, the upright in heart. If foundations are destroyed, who, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, His eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but His soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let Him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, and He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold His face. Amen. Today is Valentine's Day. Husbands, did you know that? It's Valentine's Valentine's Day. And I'm I'm not going to preach, as you can see already. I'm not passage on on love specifically. But I suppose you could say that in a very foundational way, this psalm is about love. Love to God that trusts in Him in the midst of chaos and confusion. Are you in the midst of chaos and confusion right now? You might have been. Maybe you are. Yet we learn from God's Word that those who love Him love Him and trust Him because God loved us first and sent His Son. And John said in his letter that if we have, there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. There is a type of love in the covenant of God's grace that causes a believer to believe in the midst of really fearful circumstances. It's a type of loyal, trusting love in God that clings to truths about God and His promises and His person in such a way that continues even when it's really dark and they continue to trust in Him. That kind of love, that loyalty, because He is our God. This psalm is a psalm of wisdom. It's a psalm of of lament in some parts. And it's a psalm of confidence in God. In this psalm, David confesses his faith to God in the midst of terribly human circumstances. And I say humanly terrible because God works all things, and David knows this, for the good of his children, 
Yet David deals in this psalm with advice that he receives. Advice to distrust God, to not believe him, and run. I want you to see this psalm in three parts. With faith being central to them. We're going to look at this psalm, and you can, if you got a sheet when you came in, there's a little outline on there. We're going to look at the confession of faith, the crisis of faith, and the contemplation of faith. Let's begin with the confession of faith. Look at verse 1. The very first phrase, 1a, In the Lord I take refuge. It's very brief and to the point. That word, the Lord, in Hebrew is Yahweh. That's the covenant name of God. It's the name God who says, I am that I am. I am above all things. And I make a relationship with you, David, and all the people that believe on him. And he says, in the Lord, in God, I take refuge. And this is the confession of all God's people. All those that are truly God's children who have put their trust in Jesus Christ, say in their lives, they find themselves at times struggling at this, but this is the confession of our hearts when we say, in God you I take refuge. We sing, a mighty fortress is our God. He's a bulwark, a defense, and he's never failing, and we run to that fortress for help. Like the psalmist, we say, God is a refuge and strength. He's a very present help in trouble. We, we say with the psalmist David in Psalm 16, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. You know refuge? I've defined that before because we've been in the Psalms and it uses this word a lot. The word refuge is a place where you go for safety in the midst of danger. You run for shelter. It is, it is the place... It's the ark in the midst of the flood that you run. It is the place that you go and you get safety and care and shielding and protecting. Where, where, do, you, where do you go for safety and sh shelter and protection? Not, not literally. Not literally when it comes down to your house or shelter. But what is your refuge in life that you're leaning on, depending on, finding security in? For some in their lives, they find their security and safety in a handgun that they carry. I'm not saying that's wrong, but that's, where that's their security. Or they find it in their parents. Or maybe it's their husband or a friend. For others, we find our refuge in food or drink or pornography or drugs but David, and with David, we must confess, in the Lord, I take refuge. When the winds blow of my life, when I face what feels like terrible circumstances and really difficult people, do you have them in your life right now? Terrible people or difficult circumstances? You don't want to call them terrible, but it just feels like it. Just really hard. God's people run to God for refuge. Like this week in our fighter verse, we have a weekly memorization verse. It's Psalm 46.3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, in whose word I praise. And this passage, this psalm begins by just saying, in you, God, I take refuge. And, that, and 
It's what the heart of the Christian does. We run to Jesus for refuge for the forgiveness of our sins. And we run to Jesus in all the trials of our lives. Verse 1 is saying, my safety, it's in the Lord. So let's look at number 2. I I call it the crisis of faith. Or you could say the temptation of faith. Or the temptation in the midst of being faithful and wanting to be loyal in your trust to God. And we see that right away, still in verse 1, second phrase. When he says, how can you say to my soul? What's David doing? David is asking a question and he's saying, we assume as you study this, he is assuming that he, as you listen to the psalm, he's saying, I've received advice. My advice is I'm in danger and I'm, there's a great threat against me. The wicked want to crush me, kill me, destroy me. And the foundations are destroyed. What can the righteous do? I need to run. I need to flee in panicking unbelief because God isn't going to take care of me. This is how it goes. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to the mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark of the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Here there's a crisis of faith. It's a temptation to respond wrongly in the trial. It's a temptation to seek refuge by running rather than seek refuge in Yahweh, in God. And he gets this advice. It might have come from well-intended friends, advisors. We don't know. This was written by King David, but he might not have been king yet. It might have been the times when Saul wanted him dead, or it could have been the times later on in his life when he had a son rebelling against him. We don't know the circumstances, and that's fine because it can apply to almost any of our lives when it comes down to when we face a threat and we need refuge. In this case, he was tempted to respond wrongly to run when the moment he knows is to trust in God. And he says, how can you say to my soul? He talks to unbelief. He talks to this temptation to run. Why, does he, why is he tempted? Why is he asked to run, to flee to a mountain like a bird? He says, the wicked bend their bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. You might be in a situation in your life where you might say, about to kill me, like David circumstances. In some countries, they are. I have friends in India where their churches are destroyed or where they are directly persecuted because they name the name of Jesus Christ. And that's true in so many countries across the world. They face direct opposition and hatred from people that want them dead. And sometimes the answer is to run and find, live another day. But in this case, David, facing a threat, knew the right thing to do was stand and trust in the Lord. I wonder what for you in your life are the, the difficult people. I mean, we, we all have them. If, if you don't have them, wow, enjoy. <laughs> it, we all have difficult circumstances. If you don't have them right now, you're on one of those peaks. And the world that we live in, we don't always have really smooth sailing. Difficult circumstances come in our life, really difficult, devastating, overwhelming. More than that, the Bible says that we who are believers, we have, 
We have an enemy directly. Even if we don't, can't look at people around us that are, are against us, well, the devil, Satan, is against us. Paul writes to the Philippians, to us as a Christians, he says, we wrestle not just against flesh and blood humans, but against rulers and authorities, against cosmic powers. And he says, so you better take the shield of faith, faith in God and Jesus and what he's done, in which you can extinguish all of the flaming darts of the evil one that will want to just keep attacking you, attacking you with people, good-intended friends, good-intended things that are circumstances that come in your life. In this case, David was tempted with a crisis of faith. He experiences a deep trial. Someone wants him dead. More than that, we find, he says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? What we assume in this psalm is David's friends are saying, David, the the foundations are destroyed. You better get out of here. What can the righteous do? And, and, and that word foundations here is metaphorical. He's talking about the structure, the fabric of society that brings law, order, sanity, morality, righteousness. Maybe all laws were broken right now. Things weren't going to be fair or just. So you get out of here because you're not going to get a just say. You better just go. His friends are saying escape and run. And while there's a time for that in the midst of danger. Motivations matter. At times, David would run and flee from Saul, and that was God's deliverance. In this case, David knows, no, I need to stay. If I ran, it would be out of panic, and it would be out of unbelief. I would not be trusting God. It would be fear would be driving, and I wouldn't be trusting in the Lord. David said that he seeks refuge in God. And they're saying, David, seek refuge somewhere else. Yes, the foundations are destroyed. And we could sit here this morning. Where, where are the foundations destroyed in your life? Where? where? It could be things going on in politics or the news or at your school or at your work or in your home. And you're just frustrated, discouraged, angry, sad, scared, or all of the above. The foundations in many ways have and are being destroyed in our country at times. So how do Christians live? Running? Fleeing like a bird? I mean, let's be honest. This, these aren't new realities, but they seem to thicken. We live in a culture and a society where murdering children in the womb is called birth control and woman's health. We normalize the perversion of sex with pornography that is blazing through the phones and homes of Christians and non-Christians that is legal and also exploits women. We approve of men and women thinking they can change their gender because of their feelings. Now, while we should be tender and caring and loving to all people that are in these situations, our society has gone this direction. We, we say that a man can marry a man. We come to believe that sexual relations are acceptable outside of marriage. In fact, they might be preferable to try things out. Marriage and kids and relationships in the family are just broken. The removal of gender distinctions and God-given roles and so much more. And I wonder what it is for you in your life where the foundations feel at times destroyed. They're crumbling. It could be a relationship pain. It could be 
devastating circumstances, people that just continue to make your life miserable. For David, who began this psalm and said, in you I take refuge. To you I run, your ark that I run into when the floods come on me. You are the shield that I run to, the shelter I go to. What is it for you? Could it be that relationship? It's just really hard. Your marriage, that's hard. But God's called you to it. David knew in his situation, running was unbelief. And he stayed there. He was not denying. David in this psalm doesn't say, no, the wicked are fine. The wicked aren't hurting me. You're over-exaggerating. They're not really trying to kill me. And the foundations are fine. And we, we don't do well to just ignore the difficulty, the struggle stress, the trial, the heartbreak that you are feeling right now. But there is a way in which we respond that is much different than either a panic and a run or uh, put your head in the sand or complain to everybody else and despair. David does not panic or despair. David looks to the Lord. David looks to the Lord his God, and we find this psalm as he pens this poem, this hymn that's handed off to the choir master that was to be sung in Israel, ancient Israel, to help grow their faith in God and to be passed on from centuries to centuries, even to this day, that we would sit here in this room in 2021 and study this ancient script that was inspired by God's Spirit. God, is, God intended for us to hear God wants us to take refuge in him. And oh, it is part of the normal human life that we're going to face situations and temptations to flee or to flee in our hearts or to run to a false refuge, something other than God as our safety and security. But what is David's answer? What's David's response? We see that in verses four through seven. Would you look with me at Four through seven. I call this the contemplation of faith. And what I mean by contemplation, I mean we hear that we hear David giving four these verses, these verses that are filled with the 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 outcome, the product of someone that's that faced his trial and, and maybe spent a lot of time on his bed, on his knees, on a walk, where it was. The foundations are crumbling in my life. The society is upturned. I'm being told that I should run. The wicked want me dead. But God, you're my refuge. But God, 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 you're my refuge. And we find verses four through seven is maybe the fruit of contemplation, the fruit of meditating on who God is and what he has done and what he will do. And we find here rising out in the midst of chaos the midst of a crisis, we find David worshiping, looking to a God that he believes in, that he has already said was his refuge and has run to. And he, is, and he wants us to worship this God, to look to the same God in our lives. Look at verses four through seven. The Lord is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked. 
the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked and fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be a portion of their cup. The Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. What David is ending this song is he's saying, I want you to, I want you to join in in seeing God, the living God. This living God that in comparison to the wicked that want me dead, causing the foundations to be destroyed, look at this God. And, and as I, I pondered these four verses, I wrote down six things. I'm going to mainly name them and say a few things about them. And, and they, are the, they are to be the fuel of a heart that grows in trusting and knowing this God. Oh, if you want to take refuge in God in the chaos of your life right now or the chaos that might come, maybe right now you're smooth sailing. Maybe it is to help a friend or a person in your life. We need experientially firsthand to know this God. And he, I wrote down six things that David says about this God. It is God that he takes refuge. He contemplates God. Do you, when you're in trial, look to God. Trust in God. Ponder God. Not just to fill your head with a bunch of truths so you can pass a test. God is such and such. God is such and such. So that you go, I know God firsthand. This God who loves me and cares for me, he is this. And it's in that perspective I look at all of the, the other things in my life. All the temptations, all the difficult people, all the difficult circumstances. And I look to him. I wrote down these six. That God is holy and God is ruling and God is seeing and God is testing and God is righteous and God is coming. I'm gonna take them just briefly. God is holy. He begins with this. So he ends with, the foundations are destroyed. What should the righteous do? David looks up and goes, God is holy. The Lord is in his holy temple, he says in verse four. He's in his holy temple. The foundations are destroyed, but God isn't. God is holy. He's in his holy temple. He's majestic and he's creator. And the mere sight of him, angels and humans, if they would ever cast eyes on him, would fall down, cover their eyes, and they would worship him. They would say they're undone. They do not deserve to be in his presence. The holiness of God means he's pure and he's right, and he will not tolerate sin. He's completely other than us. He's majestic and beautiful, and he's awe-inspiring. More than anything that you could ever imagine to catch your breath in your, the amazement of his beauty, he is. And David says, all the wicked that want me dead, all the trials, the difficulties, think of it in your life, God is holy. God is holy. And when I look to him, I remember his presence, and I'm going to bow before him knowing he's in charge. It is in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, many people say, what in the world is the book of Revelation about? I don't understand it. When, where in Revelation does it say at what date is Jesus going to return and end this thing and the battle of Armageddon, all that stuff? Revelation wasn't written for us to try to find a date. Revelation was given to encourage our hearts, to put our trust in God and to a suffering church. And the suffering church was supposed to see a vision like John saw in Revelation 4 where they saw Jesus on the throne, holy, 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 and they fell down and the church is meant to go, okay, yeah, that's, that's my God. 
I take refuge in him. Things are rough, but God is holy, and I can trust him. God is holy. God is ruling, secondly. That's the next phrase. The Lord is in his throne, it says. That God is on his throne, friends. I want to say to you today, God is on his throne in America. He's on his throne in Pakistan. He's on his throne in Iran and North Korea. We don't understand that why and how he does certain things, but he's on his throne, and that is not a sign of inactivity by God. He's waiting the time, and then he's going to return and then do something. He is on his throne, and that means it's a sign of his authority and his power and his activity in our lives. Psalm 115, verse 3. The Lord is in his heavens, and he does all that he pleases. He sits enthroned forever. He's established his throne in justice. Psalm 2.4 says he sits in the heavens in the midst of his enemies and laughs. They're, they're nothing to him. All the enemies of the world that would face against him have like squirt guns and trying to take out the blaze of his majesty. Oh, God, is this, this phrase, the Lord's throne is in the heavens, David says in the midst of the foundations crumbling, is he saying... He's in charge. He's ruling. He's ruling in America. He's ruling in your lives. He loves us and he cares for us and he's going to work all things for our good, not for our own little kingdom so that we'll be happy in the short run. So for his kingdom, putting us in his life under him so that we'll enjoy him and have joy everlasting forever and ever and ever. And it's so that truths like this in the midst of calamity, we can, we can say words and, like an old hymnist wrote, a sovereign protector I have, unseen yet he's forever at hand, unchangeably faithful to save, almighty to rule and command. He smiles and my comforts abound, his grace as the dew shall descend, and walls of salvation surround the soul he delights to defend." He is working for us, the sovereign God on the throne. And David knows it. That's where David's eyes go. That's where his heart goes. He doesn't flee to a mountain. He takes his mind and he goes, he's in the heavens. He's in charge. He's ruling. Number three, God is seeing. When things are unjust, things are unfair, when you're dealing with un just ludicrousy, when you're dealing with things that are just seem insane and wrong and just so difficult with people or circumstances or in government or whatever it might be, unjust. It's helpful to remember God sees. God isn't blind to this. God, God knows what's going on. It's what, in the midst of an unbelieving Israel, God tells Isaiah this. Why do you say, O Jacob? And why do you speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from God. God's not watching. My right is disregarded by God. God's answer is, have you not known? Have you not heard about me? The Lord, the everlasting God, the creator, the ends of the earth, he doesn't grow faint or weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths grow weak and faint. And young men struggle badly. But those who wait on the Lord, 
He'll renew their strength. He'll mount them up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and they'll not faint. This God is seeing. He's watching. He's not ignoring the injustices. You know that in your life, the trials and difficulties that God has put in your life, he's not blind to those. Sometimes it feels like it. We've seen other psalms where it feels like God is distant. He's not. He's watching. He's taking all things into account. And he won't miss a thing. And David is, I think, encouraged by that. David says, the God I put refuge in, he sees. If I die with injustice, God justly, he saw. He didn't miss that. He wasn't turning at the moment it happened. He wasn't turning away. He's watching. We need that. Fourthly, God is testing. God is testing. It says here that he tests. It says first that he tests the wicked. His eyes, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous. I think what David's saying, he, he, the righteous here doesn't mean perfect. It just means those who trust in God. And he's saying, he's testing me. He's testing all the faithful. You know, he's testing you this life. This life is a testing. It's more than that, but it's partially a testing. He's trying you. He's re- and that testing doesn't mean just to say, are you real in your faith? That's part of it. But he's also testing you to go, I'm going to strengthen you. Like a blacksmith or a silversmith, a goldsmith would put their metals in the fire to remove all the impurities and to make it better and pure and stronger. And God so uses the difficult people, the difficult circumstances, where the foundations seem to destroy in your life, in the nitty-gritty of your life today, in order to test and strengthen and grow your faith. As 1 Peter 1, 6 says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, it is more precious than gold. Gold perishes, but this is, this is infinitely greater. It may result in praise and glory at the day of Jesus Christ. Count it all joy when you go through various trials and you're going to go through them because the testing of your faith produces something so awesome. David's saying, God is testing I'm going to look to him. God loves me. He's not wasting my suffering. I'm going to look to him. Number five, God is righteous. This psalm is about injustices happening to David. Are you facing injustices, things that are not right, they're not fair? Are you frustrated by things that are not fair, not right around you? God is righteous. And what I mean by that is he's not just we use that word often and we think of it negatively, at least some do, like self-righteous. But God's right. He's good. He's just. He's perfect. He never makes any mistakes. All, right, all wrongs will be righted. He will never make a wrong call. God is righteous. And David reminds him. He says, the soul, his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. We looked at this in chapter 5. There is a sense in which God loves all people that will come to him and will bend their knee and confess their sins and he accepts them. But there is another sense in which he will eternally show his anger and punishment against all sinners that do not repent and turn to him. It is to human hearts in this age hard to understand, but God is so right and so good. He will do what is right. He will 
punish every sin, every injustice. And this brings us to a very sobering truth, friends. Every sinner, every sinner in David's psalm, David was a sinner, and so were the wicked that were trying to crush him. Every sinner will be punished either in hell or their sins will be pardoned by the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone. Either your sins will be punished in hell or your sins will be pardoned by the cross of Jesus Christ. David was pardoned a sinner because of the grace of God and he put his faith and trust in God. And that is our only hope. God will be righteous. And so when you're angry and upset by the difficult people and circumstances in your life, God is righteous. When you're angry at the injustices around you that makes you so angry and mad or sad or fearful, God will right all wrongs. He will avenge the unborn. He will avenge the sexually exploited. He will punish all evildoers. Oh, I pray that we will not be punished by his wrath because we ran to him for refuge. He's the only refuge. And if you've run to Jesus Christ as a refuge to take away your sins so that they are not punished by his righteousness, if you have done that, I pray that you will enjoy the full assurance because he promises it and you can bank on it. But if you have not, would you run to him Run to him and he offers it freely by his grace. He gives us peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. God, the holy God, sent his son, Jesus, to be the substitute, to pay. He's the only one capable and possible to pay our sins for us and so that God could still be righteous and punish sin and be a justifier, somebody that forgives and shows mercy and love of which is his nature. And all who put their trust and look to Christ, he saves. God is righteous. And David rejoices, God is righteous. And he loves righteousness. I will look to this God. The last thing that I see here, finally, God's coming. God is coming. David contemplates God is coming, so look to God for refuge. You say, where where do you see God is coming in this passage? I don't see it. I don't see the second coming of Christ or... The the rapture or return of Christ. Where where do you see that? The very last phrase, I see this. Last phrase of the whole psalm. The upright shall behold his face. There is a sense in the short term, he means, when you're obedient, there is a sense in which, oh, you behold his his countenance in a special way. He just loves you and encourages you and comforts you. I think David means that in some way. But there is a picture of here, none of us will behold God's face until the end. We'll never be capable of beholding his face until the end, when he makes us pure and right. And John the Apostle wrote in a letter, he says, when we appear before him and he appears before us, we will know him when we appears, because we'll be like him, because we'll see him as he really is. Or in Revelation, we will see his face and his name will be put on our forehead. That's all who, those that believe in him. And the night will be no more. And they will no longer need a light or a lamp or a sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. This is the great 
final hope. But it's, it's more than just, oh, we get a relief and we're holding his face like 20 years ago was my first Valentine's with Molly and I wanted to behold her face. That was a reward itself to connect that day and come see her and behold her face. I was with her. I was in her presence. You know, the believer grows to truly love God in such a way that they go, I just want to, be, I want to behold his face. And David had come to love God so much that he would say, safety, which is in him, is not my goal. Yeah, I want safety. My goal is to behold his face. My goal is to know God because in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. In his presence, I find delight because I'm meant to know and love him. I was always meant to be in relationship. My relationship with my spouse or my children or my friends are but like a shadow of having a relationship. The real thing is God himself. And he brings me into that through Jesus Christ. And David says, he's coming. He's going to come. And we're going to experience the beholding of his face. Oh, friends, this is what faith does in our hearts, in the most difficult people and with the most difficult circumstances. When the foundations are being destroyed, he is our refuge and our strength, our very present help in time of trouble. I want you to see as we close that Jesus Christ used the Psalms as his songbook of life. When he was on the cross, he sang a psalm. When he was with his disciples, he would sing a psalm. And we know that because he quotes the Psalms. He memorized the Psalms as a kid. The Psalms were in his life, in his heart. And I believe that he could have sung this psalm. Because you see, David looked to the Father for his refuge while he was on earth. I mean, Jesus did. Jesus, while on earth, looked to the Father in refuge. And Jesus was tempted to flee like a bird to his mountain. And don't go to the cross. Don't go to the cross. It's too hard. You'll face the wrath of God that you're going to drink the bitter cup as you go to the cross and suffer for sinners. You don't deserve it. The wicked are going to crush you in foundations. And Jesus didn't listen to this crisis of faith, but in faith in God, his Father in obedience, he did not flee like a bird to the mountain, but he ran to Calvary, to another mountain, Calvary. And he stretched his arms and laid them on a cross for you and for me and for all who put their trust in him. So that we could be rescued, cleansed, forgiven, still broken, still bruised, still struggling, but really new people trusting in him and running to him in refuge in this life. We are a people that are to live the rest of our lives doing this kind of contemplation in faith in the midst of our trials. There's so many passages of Scripture we could look at that will help us run to Him for refuge, contemplate His goodness. Like Romans 8, or 5 and 8, where it says, we have peace with God now through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8, there's no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we're His children. We know that God works all things together for good to those who love Him. Those He justifies, He glorifies. If God is for us, who's against us? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? 
Who shall separate us from the love of God? I am convinced that neither death nor life, which they might come, they shall not separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, would you look to this Christ? Will you look to God for refuge? Whether it be for the first time, and get what we call be saved. Get saved. Be made new in Christ. And enter, and if you're already there, in this, this faith in God. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing. And the song that we're going to sing is a beautiful expression of our looking up and saying, you are our king. You are ruler over all. We put our trust in you. Whatever it may be in your life, I pray, through the terrible circumstances or difficult people, the crumbling foundations, you'll look to Christ. Oh, Father in heaven, we have no other refuge but in you. Oh, God, we trust you. I pray that you would help our unbelief where we don't trust you. Oh, God, would you minister to each one here or online or watching later. Would you strengthen us according to the goodness of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.